Greetings, race community. It is a privilege to welcome Brooks Hall, the Vice President for University Advancement at Louisiana Tech, to the show today. I'm going to just kick off by reading one of the recommendations that Brooks has on his LinkedIn profile from Carl Miller Lugo, who wrote, Brooks is a valued colleague, mentor, and friend. His thought, leadership, and vast experience in our profession across all sectors and different types and sizes of institutions provide him a unique and sought-after voice on advancement. His successful and productive career is defined by his strong leadership, his belief in collaboration and teamwork, and his determination to accomplish extraordinary aspirations. I don't know if you're blushing, Brooks, but I just thought I'd kick off because I think that Carl sums it up pretty well. And I want to talk about this last line in particular, the idea of really pushing for extraordinary aspirations, which is something we talk a lot about. So welcome to the show. Uh, it's great to have you here. Thanks, Brent. It's good we'll, to see you. We'll get to all of that. Um, but, you know, I'd love to just understand, you can't understand the present and the future without knowing the past a little bit. And uh, I'd just love to know kind of who you were before you went to the University of Oklahoma. Uh, where were you? What was it like growing up? And um, what kind of led you uh, down your own uh, college path to the University of Oklahoma? Sure. Well, I appreciate it. I, I'm, I'm a kid from Fort Worth, Texas. Um, <clears throat> went to high school there and we moved around a little bit when I was a kid, but uh, had a uh, had a high school buddy that uh, wanted to go to meteorology school. Uh, and that's what took us to the University of Oklahoma. Not that I was going to be a meteorologist, but um, my family had moved up to Norman and I was uh, piddling around in Fort Worth, Texas, working uh, off a loading dock at the TCU bookstore and uh, going to classes at what was then Tarrant County Junior College. Uh, my dad called, said, why don't you quit screwing around and why don't you come to the University of Oklahoma? It was a big move for him. He's an Oklahoma State grad. Um, and so we showed up in Norman, Oklahoma in 1993 uh, and began uh, what, what became a, a very good relationship uh, with the University of Oklahoma, both as a student and then on later, uh, later on to be uh, a staff member there uh, in my first uh, development job. And you studied uh, public administration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what were you thinking during that time going through the you know, uh, curriculum? Where was it going to lead? Well, anatomy was too hard and I had to take physics for non-majors twice because I wasn't very good at it. I had a problem going to class. Um, and uh, and so uh, it took me a little bit longer to get out of college. Uh, but like I said, the first two years were, were a blur, but they were fun. Um, but uh, then we, we kind of knuckled down and I was in the College of Business and there was too much math in the College of Business. And I, and I always was kind of a political junkie. And, and so that was a, a reason I got to go over to the College of Arts and Sciences and, and uh, became an essentially a policy. And then public administration was the degree I got, but really got to know uh, some of what I still consider some of the the, the key faculty that were at the university at that time and, and uh, got, got the honor of studying uh, with some of them and kind of developed me into wanting to get into, into the public service area. Uh, didn't know it would be higher education. My, my internship and first job out of college was at a, a chamber of commerce and I, and I loved that work. Um, Tell me more about it because it, it has to be a really um, strong foundation in meeting local business leaders. I'm uh -huh. sure in many cases, they're the local philanthropists as well. But what was it like uh, right out of college getting uh, kind of embedded in that community in Norman? 
it was kind of fun. I mean, I was obviously young um, and uh, had a really good boss. Um, and she, she really kind of uh, took me under her wing um, as an, as an intern. And then uh, when the possibility, I didn't get the job the first time uh, I wanted it. And then the person who got the job uh, uh, quickly had to move. And so they came back and, and gave me the job as a, gosh, I guess I was 23, something like that. Um, and quickly became the youngest and the only, uh, only male on staff. And so had the opportunity to kind of early on, uh, be, uh, be very, uh, well positioned with a lot of our, our local board members and, uh, kind of, you know, kind of like a little mascot there, you know, he was the intern. Now he's the, now he's the director in, in one of the areas. And it kind of followed a path that had happened before. One of my good friends had done that same path before. Um, and so that really gave me an opportunity to get to meet the bank presidents, you know, all, all the local bank leaders and all the local community leaders, mayor, city manager. And so I was quickly thrown into the mix of, of relationships uh, at a high level as, as a very young, a very young man. So I was, I was pleased with that. And I, I think that has a lot to do with, with uh, even to this day, how I, how I manage my relationships. I'm close friends with the mayor uh, here in Ruston and in, uh, in Sherman. I was close friends with the mayor in Sherman um, and I've always tried to, to, to influence, you know, impact the communities in which we live in. And I know that's the influence of being at the Chamber of Commerce. I, I see what the importance of, of local impact is. I love it. Um, and I'm sure, you know, given uh, all the challenges of Main Street, you know, in 2020, it's uh, it's probably provided great, you know, empathy in uh, not taking for granted where a given uh, prospect or individual might be uh, in, in their journey. But uh, I also suspect that working in that chamber, uh, there had to be deep ties to the University of Oklahoma. And so, uh, you know, I'm curious when on the path you realized that this business of fundraising on behalf of educational institutions is was a career path because you, uh, you, you took the step back to the University of Oklahoma. Did you know about fundraising growing up? Did you know about it when you're at the chamber? When did it start to really uh, emerge as being something you might want to uh, try? Well, I didn't know it at the time until a little bit afterwards, but my, my dad was a fundraiser um, before he uh, got into uh, uh, church work. Uh, he worked at the Radio Television Commission in Fort Worth and, uh, and actually uh, got to study uh, with uh, one of the key leaders of, of what was then the seminary in Fort Worth and, and uh, learned annual giving. And later, much later in my career, uh, uh, paths crossed uh, with a, a local consultant there in Fort Worth and his dad and my dad did annual giving together uh, way back in the in the 60s. And so I guess it was already in me um, and I just didn't know it. Uh, we'd always we'd always valued relationships. Um, and of course, uh, that that is, that continues to be a key component of of what we do. Uh, that no magic in going to the University of Oklahoma. I applied for like three or four jobs. Uh, they're just trying to get out of the nonprofit world and get get over to, to the university. Did know uh, some pretty remarkable uh, individuals who were in the administration uh, early on. They served on our board at the Chamber of Commerce. So I, I got to know uh, uh, Dr. Jerry Farley, who is now the president and has been a long time at Washburn University um, and, uh, and knew uh, then uh, Dr. Van Horn, who was the president of OU at that time, um, just just because they walk in the chamber building. And so that was kind of fun. 
Um, and then, you know, those relationships develop, but the, that, you know, like no magic story to, to how I got to a, a job at OU. My father-in-law was a teaching golf pro and still is, but was at the OU golf course at that time and was giving golf lessons to the vice president of advancement of development and, and the, uh, the senior associate vice president of development. And I'm sure it went something like this. My son-in-law doesn't make enough money. He's, he and my daughter are going to have a little baby, you know, and, and, and he needs to make some more money. And could you guys give him an interview? And I think that's probably how it happened. Um, there was no magic touch of, of what got me into an interview. Maybe no magic to it, but you did end up spending 12 years uh, in that uh, at the University of Oklahoma, which is in a sector where there's, uh, unfortunately, a lot of pressure to go side to side in order to progress from one institution to another. There aren't a lot of folks who do have that 12 year uh, kind of tenure uh, at any point in their career, much less in that first job. So I'm curious when you think about Brooks on the first day at work uh, at the University of Oklahoma versus the last day, um, what were some of the biggest lessons, maybe some of your, your favorite memories during that journey? I'm sure you had to grow a lot in the business of, of fundraising. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's, you know, anytime you spend a long period of time like that with an organization, there, there are bumps and there are ups and downs and, and a lot of lessons learned. What, what I choose to, to reflect on, particularly about that time, was um, the opportunity I had to have really good mentors um, and, and those who kind of taught me the business of fundraising. Um, and, and that's probably where I'm most appreciative of, of some of the some of the lessons, I, it took me a long time to learn and I had to mature and grow, um, but their influence uh, still comes through almost daily with me. Look, tell, tell me more about that because mentorship is a recurring theme here. We've got a lot of emerging professionals listening who maybe don't have that strong mentor relationship yet. But when you think about the before and after the influence, who were the mentors? Were there specific moments where they provided you feedback, guidance, um, really what stands out? Sure. Um, you know, obviously, I had a, a really good mentor uh, that took me on my first ask and uh, and kind of loaded it before I got there. The, he had already talked to the donors and he already knew they were going to make the gift. And, and what he wanted most for me was to experience success very quickly. And so uh, took me on a trip. Uh, one of my first trips uh, took me on a trip, took me down, uh, met with the, uh, the donors and uh, kind of just took took the floor and said he wanted to talk about a couple of things. And then he essentially looked over at me and said, and now Brooks would like to talk to you all about something, which was essentially go kid. And, uh, and I'll never forget him giving me that opportunity. He's still a very close personal friend. Um, but you know, he got to who, enjoy who is that Brooks. That's Paul. Is it? It's, it's Paul Massad, who I would say spent 54 years at the university of Oklahoma and, and is probably, um, one of the longest serving, uh, people who ever worked at the at any university for that matter. Um, but, you know, he set the table for me and set it up with donors who to this day remain to be very good friends of ours. Uh, but they, they had fun with me that day. Knowing it was going to happen made me sweat it a little bit. Um, but, he, you know, that was, that was one of my, one of my fond memories that I have. And, and he and I reflect on that, you know, probably as we both got older, probably a little more than, uh, than, than, than other areas of which the, the time we had. And then I had the opportunity, we had some senior level uh, development uh, officers that kind of took me under and uh, wanted, wanted me to succeed and, and wanted to position me to, to learn how to be uh, a college development director. Um, both of those, I appreciate a great deal. Um, 
Uh, one was Buddy Ellis, who was in the College of Business, and the other is my good friend Neil Heaney, um, who is uh, still at the University of Oklahoma and, and is a, a good friend to this day. But both those guys you know, obviously were influential on me. Uh, Kenneth Conklin, who was the Associate Vice President uh, at the time when I was hired, still an influence uh, on the work we do. And, and then Ron Burton, who was the president of the OU Foundation at that time, really taught me uh, how to do things right. Um, particularly uh, when it came to fulfillment of, of obligations that we have with, with uh, stewardship and other things. Um, uh, an incredibly influential uh, person on how I do things now, having the opportunity to serve a foundation. Brooks, do you think that they had a similar influence on everybody at the organization, on, on a bunch of people at the organization? Was it just their MO and their leadership style? Or do you feel like for some reason you connected on a more personal level, um, like what's your take on, was that just the culture of the organization or you really kind of lucked out uh, from a mentorship perspective? I think a little bit of luck, but I also sought them out. Um, uh, I, and, and still to this day, seek mentors. Uh, I'm, I'm How do somebody, you seek out a mentor? How do you seek out a mentor? I, I use, I'm somebody who kind of believes in the, you have a personal board of directors. I haven't always had that um, and I needed it. Um, and learned it the hard way. It's always good to have people uh, in your corner, but also at the table telling you uh, the right paths to take. Um, that was a void for me in, in years. Um, and then, you know, learning the lessons of, of, uh, of both success um, and failures. Uh, you start to develop people who, who kind of stick with you through that. But, you know, the, the, the mentor relationships that I had at, at OU, particularly in the staff, roles uh, were both, they were willing to, to do that and provide that for those who sought it out. Um, they did not ever force uh, the relationship. Um, and I think it, it gave us a, uh, a bond that I think to this day still extends. I'd encourage you if you're listening and you haven't heard that expression before, personal board of directors, Google it. There's uh, plenty of material out there, uh, but I do think that um, just the concept is is not brought up very often in the advancement sector, but the idea that you've got a group of people that you can both use as a sounding board, but also as accountability partners, many times uh, folks that would be ahead of you in your careers, but not always. It could even be uh, among peers. Um, you know, there's there's uh, great power in groups. And um, uh, I appreciate you bringing that up, Brooks, because I don't think it's uh, it's talked about and certainly not intentionally enough in this sector. It, it plays a great role. And, and of course, not all of those board of directors uh, are involved professionally. Uh, I have, you know, I have some really strong personal uh, mentors uh, that, that absolutely, if not have more influence on the way of my life right now. And, and, and what's also important to point out is those, those memberships change. You know, they, you, you don't ever grow out of a good relationship, but you don't always need someone to mentor you in certain areas. And sometimes you need somebody in your blind spot um, and they help identify where your other blind spots are. So that, that's a key. That's a key to where I, I really am today. And I think part of that comes with age and maturity um, and, and the road that we've taken, um, you know, particularly the decision to leave the University of Oklahoma uh, to go to a private liberal arts school, um, which was something I really uh, sought to do. Um, I met another one of my mentors, which is Dr. Marjorie Haas, who is uh, the president of Rhodes College now in Memphis. Uh, 
I would say this uh, very openly and she knows it. She made me a vice president, not just by title. She taught me how to be a vice president. Um, and, and that's something I, I have a debt of gratitude, still a very close uh, confidant, a very close mentor, someone that I still hang on a lot of her words. Um, she's very influential uh, in my decisions. And I, I typically don't make a, a big decision without her being at that table. And so that, that was a very, you know, that's the next phase of where, where you, you move into that, um, that realm. And then also the, the people that you come across um, learning a very different way of doing fundraising. Um, you know, when you, when you move from being a, at a state institution, a, a, a tier one research institution that has done great things and you jump and go to a, a well-recognized private liberal arts college in Texas with a brand new, a brand new president, um, and you are reporting back to a board of trustees who has the fiduciary responsibility for the entire institution, you learn how important real money really is and, and how fundraising is the lifeblood. There is no other allocation. It is what you raise um, and the tuition that is paid that makes the institution go forward. So I really developed a, a personal appreciation for philanthropy at that point in time that I probably didn't really understand um, at, at the University of Oklahoma. We dealt with you know some wealthy people and and, and, and never took that for granted, but also understood that we were leveraging those gifts. Uh, at Austin College, it was their philanthropy that was making the things happen for an undergraduate education. And, and that, that had great influence uh, on me. And that was something that I valued so much uh, in the mentoring that, that Marjorie Haas provided. I love that. It's, um, it, it's a great reminder uh, that you know, earning those kinds of sponsorship relationships can be more meaningful and more impactful in a career than, you know, what you know or, or what you've done. So um, hopefully everybody listening is thinking about if they had to form a personal board of directors, who might it be? If they had to seek out mentorship, you know, maybe there's somebody hidden in plain sight that if you just, and it doesn't need to be overly formal, right? It could be, hey, would it be okay once a quarter if I, uh, you know, if we sat down or jumped on Zoom and talked through, uh, you know, how things are going, uh, just to just to have some accountability. Yeah. It's played um, a critical role in my life in the last decade, for sure. Well, and it's been a big decade, right? I mean, you think about uh, July 2010, you took your first vice president job at Austin College. You had a, a good five-year run there, uh, and you're now in your fifth year, uh, going into your sixth year as vice president at Louisiana Tech. Was it a hard decision to, uh, uh, you know, to, to make that leap to, to Ruston and, you um, you know, what, what were you excited about when you took uh, the opportunity in, in 2015? And uh, as you reflect on where you're at now, um, you know, where do you feel like it was sort of what you imagined versus maybe surprises uh, along the way? Yeah, I, I, uh, I knew um, the success that, that uh, we were having the opportunity to share in at, at Austin College uh, would provide another opportunity. I, I very much knew uh, that my president there would would obviously move on. Um, we had no uh, specific ties other than being Texans. Um, that that you know we had great relationships, great friendships there. But I also was longing to get back to a public institution. Um, I, I, I am a, a public educated kid, and and not a privately educated kid. And and while Austin College was a unique opportunity. Um, I also realized that that was the training and the, the development that I sought and that I had, I had now uh, ambitions and, and, and really aspirations to take it to the next level. Um, 
got involved in a couple of opportunities, didn't get those jobs. Um, thought I was disappointed that I, that I didn't get a, a, maybe one of them in particular. But then I started to realize that the path um, was going a different direction and that I had to, you know, trust in that and, and move in a direction. Never envisioned moving to Louisiana, um, but uh, had the contact that was made to us um, that uh, provided us an opportunity to come to Ruston, Louisiana that uh, we, we never really envisioned. Um, and then just essentially fell in love with not only the community and, and the university, uh, but also realized uh, what would become uh, a relationship that I have now with my president here, and that's Dr. Les Geis, um, who without a doubt is, if, if not uh, recognized widely as one of the best presidents uh, at a university in the United States, um, should be, uh, because um, learning more from him every day on, on the ability to make the most uh, of what's in front of us and really look forward. Um, you know, you've heard me uh, talk about vision and, and things like that. I get a lot of that inspiration uh, from, from Dr. Geis. And uh, I think all of us do here. And for not being a, a Louisiana Tech graduate and a Ruston guy, uh, we have, we've called this home. Um, and it's been a great opportunity for, for our family. Um, and uh, we, we are enjoying a, a, probably more success here than, than we really, um, we, we knew could happen, but are enjoying more success here than, than we uh, initially thought was possible. Um, and that's part of the lesson uh, and the mentoring of, of our president. And that is to, to think big and, and to, to have grand aspirations. Um, and, and you get up every day with the understanding of what's really at stake. Um, we believe that our work is incredibly important here because we see the lives that are changed by it. And that's an ownership and accountability, but also a grand responsibility that I think has developed particularly in me in the last five years uh, of what do I really want to accomplish? And, and probably through, uh, through his leadership have learned more about the purpose of the work that we do um, and, and not just the, um, the, the tangible accolades and the results in annual reports and things like that but the real impact of what's being accomplished when you um, every day get to see the impact that's made on, on a number of first generation, but yeah. also what I like to call bootstrap uh, kids. And, and we're feisty here at Louisiana Tech. Uh, we're, we, we like to compete. We, we outpunch our weight class um, and we're proud of it. Um, and, and we also know what's at stake. And that is because the, the graduates of Louisiana Tech uh, University go on to do grand things. Um, and it's a, a real joy for us to develop relationships with people who are, typ who are typically self-made. Um, and that, that's a real reward. Tell me about some of the, the moments, either specifically or maybe more generally, uh, where that really, where you really feel that, Brooks. Because I think one of the challenges in the sector is when you get so caught up in your day-to-day and -day, your portfolio and your touch points and your uh, you know, proposal goals and visit goals and so forth, um, you can get pulled away from the student impact, you know, the lives that are being changed just because you're really busy. Um, uh, how do you kind of make sure that that impact, not only, I mean, we talk a lot about how do we share the impact with our donors, 
but how do we share it with ourselves, right? How do we share it with our staff? How do we make sure that people understand that all of these activities and the projects and the plans, it leads to lives being changed and impact. How do you think about selling it internally in addition to communicating it externally, which you guys have done a great job of? Well, I think you know, we do two things. One, one is we, we position students within our operation, um, whether that ha has been formally or, or uh, through student philanthropy organization that we, we created here with one of our staff members. Um, we've hired some of our students who are now on our staff, but really the, the, the thing that's probably has played most key in, in my keeping my feet on the ground is we have what's called a first year experience class. Um, it's a freshman level orientation, one hour. Um, and I teach that in the first quarter um, on Mondays and Wednesdays. And so uh, I typically have 35 non-declared majors um, that are freshmen. Um, and we spend a lot of time on group work and we spend a lot of time on you know just communication and getting them acclimated to the institution um, but just as important to me is the emotional um, reward that I get from finding out more about them and where they're from. And that's where you really get a picture of what does this today's student really look like that wants to go to college and needs help to get there. You can do that every day. And so one of that's that's the constant yeah. reminder that we all should embrace. And that is what we do matters and we get to do it. Um, and that's the reason that we get to do it is because those kids, those kids need us and they're world changers. They just need a boost. I, uh, so you're professor hall. No instructor instructor. Got it. Yeah. Instructor. I'm, I'm Brooks. Uh, yeah. I don't, I, we don't go by any of that stuff. Dr. Hull is my father. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's, we recently hosted Nick Lindy from the university of Nebraska who shared that he had served as an adjunct professor um, at, you know, at, at a prior at the University um, uh, of Minnesota State Mankato. And, um, you know, he just also shared that when you're able to be present with students, it's just a real grounding mechanism. And it can really uh, also help provide you with a more authentic um window into the campus life when you're talking to donors, right? It's different. I'm sure you must bring up that class that you teach when you're talking to donors about the impact and, you know, the fact that you can maybe make it even more personal about specific students has to be, um, has to be really valuable for you uh, in staying charged up yourself, but also in communicating that impact to donors. Yeah. Play, plays a, a key um, role. And that goes back to an earlier mentor that I had who always made time to visit with students. And that was, that was something that I, that was taught. So that was a, that was a taught trait uh, from an early mentor that I had. Love it. Um, one of the expressions that Brooks often uses in our conversations, including in our pre-call today, uh, is this idea that there's a reason the windshield is so much bigger than the rear view mirror. And I can't imagine a better year than 2020 to be more focused on the, uh, the windshield than the rear view. But you've always taken that perspective. And, you know, there's this balance of, you know, needing to respect the history, respect the you know, decades of work that has gone into building the tradition of philanthropy in the education sector, but at the same time, you know, not spending too, too much time looking backwards and really trying to look forwards. And I feel like uh, during this 2020, you know, COVID disruption, uh, there have been a, a range of reactions from a bit of, 
you know, paralysis, let's go kind of pencils down, hit pause, feel things out to a handful of folks on the other end of the spectrum, which is, this is our moment. This is our time. We've got to innovate. This is, um, if there's going to be so much negative impact, um, you know, to our country right now, to our society, we got to find the positive uh, here. We've got to use this as a moment to innovate. And it, and it seemed like you didn't even bat an eye at Louisiana Tech. And maybe that starts with the president. You know, maybe it's your own personality. But um, just walk me through your view on why the windshield matters more now than ever versus the rear view and how you approach 2020, really looking at it as a time to play offense, not defense. Yeah. And, and obviously it took a little bit different of a meaning with, you know, obviously having a windshield, um, uh, a lot of gas in the tank and, and, and we like to, we like to push the pedal down without a map though for 2020, you know, not a, not a direction that we absolutely saw would we would get there. Um, we, we had already made the decision that we wanted to transform part of our uh, operations um, for engagement uh, towards a, a new platform and a new, a new way of doing things. Uh, that was more out of efficiency than anything else. And then it became um, out of necessity. We, we do benefit from having a, a president and a university that prides itself on being innovative. Um, and so that's a key component. Um, I'm, I'm afforded the opportunity to be innovative. I'm, I'm not afforded the opportunity to be careless, but I am afforded the opportunity to take risk um, because risk has reward. Um, and so we knew immediately that we had to do more. We've, we've, we've been successful in a, in, a, in a comprehensive campaign for the university. We kept going uh, in, in the time of you know, March on and and things like that, but we were pretty much there and we knew we needed to turn the page um, on, on how we had achieved that and move towards the next. And, and that is the development uh, of the next portfolio and the next uh, pool of prospects for a future campaign. And, and I'm just somebody who learned that at the University of Oklahoma, you never come out of campaign mode. Um, that was a, a very a very key lesson I learned uh, back, uh, back early on in my career, uh, campaign after campaign after campaign many campaign, you know, we're always working towards that. So that was influential in, in my recommendation that we we make a, a, a strategic decision and take a risk. And that was to not slow down at all. We, we canceled uh, nothing uh, that wasn't already planned except for in-person activities, okay? So we moved virtual within two days. We were already essentially set up to do that. Uh, we were already talking obviously with you um, and we started to make the, the, the key decisions before we even installed the platform. What are the things we could do immediately that starts getting us ready for it? Um, we continued our solicitation schedule. Uh, we didn't apologize for it. Uh, we started speaking more about impact. Um, might be important to remember for us though, we, the year before COVID, we had had a, a tornado that ripped through our campus um, and destroyed four of our athletic facilities. And so we were no strangers to devastation. Um, and that's where I get the bootstrap and, and we're, uh, we're, you know, we have a, a saying rust and strong. That's a big, that's a big statement that we have here, not just in our, in our university, but our town gown relationship. We, we are a, we are a focused, uh, group of individuals who want to see a better day. And so we, we embraced that challenge. And, and I think that's probably in the last 24 months been one of the more rewarding um, aspects of what can really be accomplished when people decide to make a, a, a conscious decision 
to not let off. Um, and that's what I go back to is we get to do this. And there are people who depend on us to make this happen. Um, not just us depending on, oh, I wonder if I get to keep my job or things like that. I wonder if I'll get to go to the office or work from home. There are people whose lives depend on our success um, as, a, as an institution. And so we went into emergency funds. We, we went ahead with the, the standard giving days and everything else that you typically do. We, we were not entertaining conversations about stopping or stalling. Um, and so we continued to just press on. And, and I really think we've pressed through that. Now, obviously, are our returns this year as good as they've been in the past? No. But I really wonder about the what if. Uh, and, and that's the mirror. That's the rearview mirror. Don't spend a lot of time there. But what if we had not pushed the gas? Um, then we would be different than where we are today. Um, yeah. and, and so I choose to look forward uh, you know, more than I, more than I look back, it's important to reflect. It's important to see where you've come from. Uh, and it's important to recognize, um, where, uh, some of the hazards were that you overcame, but it's also important to recognize where the past successes have also been and honor those and embrace what was, what was strongest about them and put them in your new travel plan going forward. And, and we've done right. that. Um, we very much look for the end of, of what we're in right now, but it will not influence what our path forward is. It doesn't matter when we come out of it. We're not straying from the path that we're on right now. And one of the big bets that we've been, uh, you know, trying to collaborate on has really been this idea of personalizing relationships with more of our constituents. And I think that, you know, back to your roots in the Chamber of Commerce and relative to where we are today, um, there's never been kind of a a dichotomy like we're experiencing, you know, in the midst of a recession, uh, let's call it, right, where there's more pressure on Main Street than ever before. Uh, but actually, the stock markets are at record highs. We've had a record IPO year this uh, year and even this month. And so on one hand, um, people are doing really, really well, even though the headlines and the local Main Street impact have been acute and will continue to be as we go through winter here, which I feel like has further shined a light on why we can't just try to create segments or uh, you know pretend like we're being personalized with people. You've actually got to understand where somebody is, and the there's nothing out there that replaces what we're doing right now, which is having a conversation. So a huge part of your work this year has been let's have more conversations with more people who've been both philanthropic and have the means to be more philanthropic. Let's get them out of mass marketing into, uh, we're calling it a DXO program, but into this idea of a relationship manager at a scale that we've never tested before. And we were kind of moving in this direction pre-COVID, uh, could not have anticipated maybe the tailwinds and the need that COVID would present uh, to really understand where a given individual is, not being presumptuous, not relying too much on data to infer exactly everything about this person that can't replace just talking to somebody. Yeah, and I, I think that was a, a, a key moment for us was the realization of how much more this gave us the opportunity to do, how much how much more uh, engagement we actually could have, um, because the the day to day uh, that was taking away from our attention on on what was most important was gone. Um, I also think the immediate real time training of having to figure out what a Zoom was. Uh, was really uh, was really key. <clears throat> we had a uh, a daily interaction early on with our entire staff uh, every day. Not only 
my, uh, the staff that I get to oversee, but also the administrative level, the senior leadership every day, the, uh, uh, the uh, administrative planning council every day, and then the emergency response team. I mean, it was just boom, 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 boom. So we've talked about how exhausting it is before, but also you and I've talked about is how comfortable we have become with this and actually what it can mean on having a more comfortable relationship early on with underdeveloped or undeveloped prospects. And if I could do this nine times a day for meetings, wonder what I could do in 15 minute windows or 30 minute windows to introduce myself. And what are the technology tools that are already out there in existence that I could better embrace and learn how to ma maximize my impact? I could probably see 10 times the people that I typically see. And you, know, you, and, I, you and I have talked about it. We, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we have, uh, for years in the old models, tried to uh, you know, round up as many prospects as we could. And we, the reason we did that was we didn't want anybody else to get them. I'm guilty of that. I, I know how to set up prospect pools and I know how to make them set up to where they look productive. And I also know that that's picking up checks. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. So what we, what we realized is what if I change that philosophy and what if I said, I'm going to open up the floodgates and I, and I'm, and I'm going to see, if, if you can go get somebody that is going to benefit our program, then go get them. And it was this freeing moment that we completely embraced. And I, I think it's, so, it, it's really shown us some, some, real, uh, some real strategies for going forward, particularly with the DXO model. Yeah. I mean, look, let's just say that in the past we, uh, we had a hundred visit target, okay, which I think could even be ambitious in some cases. Uh, and let's just say that going forward, we could have five Zoom conversations, 30 minutes a day with donors, right? And let's say there's 200 working days in a year. That's a thousand conversations. We just 10X'd it. And that does not seem that crazy given the number of Zoom calls that we've all been on. Um, and I think, you know, part of it is going to be, let's not just make it a Zoom call. Let's make it meaningful, right? Let's work in the president in ways we haven't been able to in the past, the faculty, the student athletes, the impact stories. So it's not just me doing a bunch of Zoom calls, it's orchestrating a better donor experience in a much lower cost manner. On the other hand, Brooks, there are a lot of people, and maybe including yourself to a certain regard, saying, ah, can't wait till I get back out there. Can't wait till this is over. Can't wait to hit the, you know, hit, hit the road again. And so how do you think about um, when that will be appropriate versus all of the low ROI travel that has historically taken up a lot of time, a lot of resources, and frankly, kept other donors uh, from being able to have conversations like this. So, you know, what does that windshield look like where we sit today here in mid-December about, uh, let's say a year from now, are we back to everybody doing hundred visits a year or is there some new hybrid approach that, uh, that emerges? I, I think it has to be, I know what it'll be for us. And, and, and I hope it, I hope it's this way for others. It'll be a hybrid approach. I, I very much see, this opportunity as a chance for us to really distinguish between principal gifts programs and major gift programs and really uh, eliminate the hierarchy belief system of what annual giving and uh, leadership giving and major gift looks like. It can all look the same <clears throat> with, with these kinds of technologies. I think going on the, uh, the personal visits uh, are more about the uh, should be and, and will be more about the closure and the finalization of, of, the agreements and the, the the stewardship of how we're implementing those investments um, and, and those gifts that are people that are people are being made. I do think there's value in in the personal 
and in-person relationship building. But I also don't think that has to happen seven times a year if you use these tools. I, I use for an example, uh, I have oversight of the, the foundation here. And so I'm, I'm the staff representative to the board. I've been here five years. Our first board meeting that we set up post COVID uh, was a Zoom call. And we had more members of our board participate in that call than we had ever had in person ever in the meeting schedule for the foundation that tells us something okay this is these are these are our board members these are already proven donors to the institution and they're extremely comfortable um, being in this platform with us i've had many zoom follow-ups with those people one-on-one uh, -on -one, and then yesterday i did one with seven of them all at the same time and so we're learning how to utilize that and they love it and, and you know they embrace it Something you and I have also talked about before is I've gotten to see parts of homes, offices, and locations for some of our best donors that I had no idea uh, really existed. I might have thought they might have another house or what, wonder what was in their home office or I wonder what was behind their desk. Another thing that one of my mentors early on taught me was always look around behind what's sitting behind the person you're talking to. I have seen second and third homes through Zoom. I have seen offices that I would never be able to see even as a vice president because they like to meet you in boardrooms. And I've also seen the home offices where they have what they most value. Now there's something that we should pick up in the old way of are we good gift officers? Are we learning as we meet? Are we listening? And are we looking around at what we're, uh, what we're seeing in front of us? You know, not just the old sailboat behind the desk but what are the awards that they really have? What do they value most? That's usually in their personal office or even more at their home office. And so that's part of the art of being a good fundraiser that I think this has given us the opportunity to be even greater. And I, I really challenge, I really challenge everyone. Have you really noticed that? And, and are you really paying attention to that? And most importantly, for those of us who are in leadership positions, are you teaching that? And, and that is that is one of the real gifts I think we're getting from this time that I think makes like looking through the windshield. There's sometimes I'm going to choose this as my path of how do I want to meet what could be a really strong principal gifts prospect. If this is where they'll meet me, I might be able to learn more in the early days than I ever did in the old way of doing this. I love it. It's uh, yeah, I never thought about just um, the importance of the physical surroundings, even if that's um, even if that is now inferred in a digital medium, it's being able to see that physical uh, surroundings that can help you go beyond. Look, we're all about data. We're all about, uh, you know, trying to infer interest through digital social, but that cannot be done, you know, at a level of what's on somebody's desk, what's on their wall, you know, who's in the photos behind them. And so um, I, I think that's a great example where the, the experience for the donor, it can be more convenient, it can be better, it can be much less costly and time intensive for you as a vice president, um, which is why, you know, there are days we talk about, well, you know, in this new environment, um, how do we put our best people in front of our best prospects uh, without the constraints of travel and, uh, just the sheer uh, amount of time that goes into that. And, and I know that's something you're thinking through right now. 
including for yourself and, and how much you've been able to, you know, how much more you've been able to engage with your prospects, how much I've been able to engage with you and others where in the past it might've been, Hey Brooks, I'd love to come see you in Ruston. You know, let's figure out a time two months from now, we get it on the calendar, but that almost precludes us from having these frictionless conversations whenever we want now, which is great. Yeah. The other tangible, which I, I, I'm sure we underutilize is the share screen. Let's look at it right now together. You know, not like I'm going to mail you. I mean, I'm gonna, I've got here in a folder. You can look at it later. Hey, let's pull it up and look at it together. I mean, wow. I mean, real time. Let's walk through it. Do you want to work on that document right now? Are there changes you really want to make to it? Because I can make them right now while we're together. You know, and Never that, before would that have been something oh, you would have done in real time with the donor. Uh, we, we thought we were good carrying laptops and iPads. Well, yeah. how about why don't you get on my desktop with me for the next five minutes and let's hash out this pledge agreement. I love it. Can you talk a little bit just about, so your own ability to embrace this, get comfortable, right? It's going to go with you for the rest of your career. All of us, right? We're all going to look back to 2020. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter what part of campus you're on. There's an inflection point. We're in the middle of it. I think it's hard to even appreciate how big it truly is until we're a couple of years beyond. But when you think about what this has meant for a president, for example, President Geis, who you already thought was a terrific leader, inspiring, um, how have you been able to work the president into donor conversations, whether it's the close or the stewardship or you know warming up relationships? Uh, I know you went through an athletic director search, um, you know, virtually for the most part uh, recently. Faculty members, I mean, when you think about not just it being seven donors and you in the Zoom call, but your ability to have your entire campus now, your entire community, a Zoom link away, have you been able to bring people together in that manner? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, a good example is what I'm going to be doing here in about 10 minutes. That is, we're doing a virtual going away party for someone who's leaving our staff. <clears throat> the president's joining that virtual Zoom probably in the Love next five to 10 minutes before he goes to a, a conference meeting in another Zoom. Doesn't have car, does it's easy for him. He says, I'd be glad to do it. I, I want to make sure that I say thank you to every staff member that we have without having the big Christmas dinner, things like that. Yesterday on the Zoom I had, we brought in three different staff people at three different times. Legal, CFO, anything, pop in for easy answers to questions just like that. Have had faculty members sit sit with us on um, on calls before. We essentially, uh, I got I got the honor of chairing our athletic director search, um, did most of that until the final interview all through Zoom. Okay, we went through the entire process, pounded it out and finished it in 30 days. Okay, so efficiency there. Got my president at every meeting, didn't have to travel, didn't have to, everybody was in every meeting we had, every interview. We took advantage of COVID in that situation. Everyone was available that we wanted to right. interview. And so we really maximized uh, that uh, to our benefit. Where are we going with that? I think it's we, we continue to look forward and learn how could we do better with what we've already learned and make it a much more interactive experience at, at not just the highest levels, but at every level. And I think, uh, I, think I know I have the president that, that wants to do that, is capable of doing that, and is incredibly gifted in that area. Uh, I also know that we have deans who embrace that and are willing to do that at any point in time. And we have key faculty that'll do that at the drop of a hat as well. And so, you know, one of the things that we have to take advantage of is, is the utilization of our resources that we have, not financially, 
that we have sitting on our campus that are easily attainable within a 15 minute window of I don't have to do anything but turn my computer on. And I think that's why we're going to be hard pressed to argue that the right way to come out of this is to just go back to one on one visits, because, mm -hmm. yes, you can have a one on one conversation with somebody. But if you can't bring in a more holistic experience sitting at the country club or sitting at lunch, that's a missed opportunity for that donor. And if we're really going to focus on the donor, we'd be crazy not to architect the digital experiences uh, doesn't mean that there's not a time and a place for uh, for the, you know, for the field visit. But I, I, I'm I'm worried that we're going to over rotate back to what we've all known, what we're comfortable doing, um, as opposed to double down on what we've seen. The donors love is way more efficient. The president's a Zoom link away, um, et cetera. I don't want to keep you uh, from uh, this going away party, um, uh, but I do just want to make sure that our audience knows how to stay in touch with you. I'll say, you know, Brooks, definitely somebody who um, has embraced LinkedIn. Check out his profile, connect with him there, um, but also look at it as just an example of an excellent LinkedIn profile and advancement. He's active, he's engaged, he's got a great photo. I mean, just take a look because I still think there are, uh, you know, there's an opportunity for improvement in that regard as well. Um, but if, Brooks, if people want to stay in touch with you, if they like your uh, your point of view, what what's the best way? LinkedIn, anything else? LinkedIn's always good. Um, I'm easy to find um, on the Louisiana Tech University Foundation website. And yeah, um, are I you hiring Brooks? I mean, should people be on the lookout for opportunities? Where are you in the thaw versus the free? You know, we intend we intend to. We just hired two really strong. Uh, new staff members here uh, that that both bring unique uh, skill sets that we did not previously have. Same way of looking forward, we always take the opportunity with a retirement to look at what do we really need, not do what do we, should we replace. Um, and that's you know that's that's really in our philosophy, which we took and we take every day. And that is uh, essentially what you said. And that is the people who we don't have folks here on our staff that say I can't wait to get back. We're not going back. And so uh, we have people uh, on our team and, and I have colleagues that I get the privilege of working with every day that are looking forward. There are great things to take forward. Pack All right. I mean, that's kind of where we're doing. Pack a lunch. Um, we're going forward. Well, um, here's to moving forward. Here's to keeping our eyes on the windshield, uh, you know, glancing at the rear view occasionally, but there is an exciting future in front of us. Uh, and if you're passionate about innovation and advancement, you'd be crazy not to get to know Brooks. So don't be shy, reach out. Uh, Brooks, best wishes as you continue to push through the year end close here. Uh, thank you for your partnership and for this conversation. This is Brent signing off on the Rays podcast in Oceanside, California. Take care.